This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes, discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, Associate Digital Media Producer here at Christianity Today, and today we are having a blast from the past episode. I am joined by Richard Clark. Hey, great to be here. I've missed it. I don't even know if some of our new listeners, which we have many new listeners, yeah, know I'm who nobody. you are. I'm nobody to them. So you are part of the podcast team at uh-huh. CT. Uh-huh. In fact, you are the podcast guru, mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah, I helped produce, I helped uh, sort of uh, launch and conceive of quick to listen with you and then uh have been doing a lot of other projects did the calling for a while and working on a new thing so yeah that's cool so people if they miss you on the calling which by the way the calling was this really long form interview series that richard did for a long time mm-hmm. a couple of years yeah? yeah that finished earlier this year yeah no new episode you can still listen to it if you want it's time it's timeless so check it out And you have another podcast project in the works. That's right. All right. We're not going to talk about it yet, but it's in the works. All good. Who is joining us today? Today we're joined by Kevin Minoya. He's the former president of the National Association of Evangelicals and the current founder and chair of Wesleyan Holiness Connection. He's also a chaplain at Azusa Pacific University. He served in ministry leadership for more than 30 years, including roles as pastor, superintendent, and bishop within the Free Methodist Church. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, and thanks for letting me join both of you. And Morgan, since this is a blast from the past, you guys are talking about stuff that's so recent. I mean, you know, for me, a blast from the past is at least 10 or 15 years ago, right? I mean, that's when I remember walking in that building perforce. Yes, Kevin, let us know, for all the listeners who did not hear the obviously off-air part, that his (laughs) office used to be across the street from the Christianity Today offices. Back in the yes. day. Yeah. Back in the day. So it's not a blast from the past now. It's back in the day. So that's really classic. <laughs> we got to get <laughs> our labels right. here that we're coining every moment. I'm writing it down. Back in the day. Yeah. All right. Well, before I embarrass myself anymore, let's get into this discussion since there's so many things that Kevin could be on here to talk about. Let's make it apparent what it is he is here to chat with us about. So this summer, California legislator Evan Lowe introduced legislation that would have designated paid, quote-unquote, conversion therapy services as a fraudulent business practice. Until last week, legislators' low measures seemed set to pass. It moved through both of California's legislative chambers, and Governor Jerry Brown had shown no sign of opposition to this piece of legislation. But last Friday, Lowe quashed his own legislation after meeting with Christian leaders who had expressed concerns about how the bill might affect their ability to counsel those in the LGBT community. Some would say this is crazy. Lowe, who is gay and the chairman of the Legislative LGBTQ Caucus, told the LA Times, Why would you pause when you don't need to, when you're in the driver's seat? Well, one answer is actually our guest today, Kevin Manoia. Manoia met with Lowe and came out against Lowe's bill and reparative therapy a day before the assemblyman dropped the bill. Writing for the Orange County Register, Manoia said this, The legislation seems to assume that all Christians support reparative therapy and that the only means to curtail its use is by legislative action. In fact, most churches recognize its potential damage and Christians in California are less supportive of it than the author presumed. 
Given the risk of AB 2943 legislative overreach, a wiser path lies with collaborative, open dialogue that causes such hurtful practices to be abandoned through the moral consciousness of society. This week on Quick to Listen, we want to hear how the story unfolded and what it says about the future of relationships between evangelicals and the LGBT community in one of the country's most progressive states. So before we get into our discussion today, I want to remind everyone that this podcast is made possible by everyone who supports Christianity today, and we really appreciate all of you who do that. We now, again, have options for people to donate. If you have already subscribed to the show, you can donate again by going to morect.com slash podcasts. You know, Richard, you haven't been here, obviously, when we've been having this time, but it's been a nice time for us to kind of share more about what we do sometimes at the company. You've been traveling a lot, I know. That's kind of like it's default Morton. Morgan is just traveling places, but sometimes you do so for work. Mm-hmm. What is the last thing you've done? Well, more like less of like the last thing. I'm more like in the next 10 days, I'm going to be going to Ohio on an airplane, which is kind Ohio of like, via an airplane. If you could go anywhere, would it be Ohio? Um, it actually would be this conference that I'm going to. What is it? The conference is the Religious News Association annual conference. Nice. And essentially, you get together with other people who work in religious journalism, and you talk shop. It's awesome because there are people who are Christians who are reporters, and there are people who are not Christians that are reporters, people who are coming from all varieties of backgrounds and faiths. But what they have in common is a passion to really look through the world through a religious lens, and people are really interested and nerdy about this type of stuff. Right, yes. Yeah, I will be like, I will have my face pressed up against Twitter (laughs) during this time, basically, like, watching all of you talk about having fun without me, basically. More or less. It's a really great conference. I think there's something that's just so joyful about being at industry conferences because you get to kind of, like, find your people in a unique way. Totally. So I will be at that conference if you do want to also press your face against Twitter. I think the hashtag for it is hashtag RNA18. Yeah, I think that's what you would follow. Also, if you want to give, which is the, like, the more important part about this, go to morect.com slash podcasts, morect.com slash podcasts, and thank you to everyone who supports the show right now. All right, Richard, I'm pretty sure you remember about all of this, but this is the time that we call gut checks, and we give our own visceral reactions to the news story that we're talking about of the day. So let's hear what you think about it. Uh, yeah, I was struck by this article in particular, by this whole thing, because I also listen to The Daily. And I don't know if you listen to The Daily. What's The Daily for people who don't listen to them? The Daily is a podcast by The New York Times. So I listened to the article yesterday. Today I listened to The Daily. And there's a fascinating contrast between what The Daily was talking about was happening with Brett Kavanaugh's nomination, which is just this spectacular explosion of like uh, people at loggerheads and refusing to compromise and trying to just stop things at all costs. Um, And there's obviously some religious components there, right? Like there's people who have certain religious beliefs who are, who are really on both sides of this debate. And I, I think it's interesting to see a hap something like this happening where people are talking to each other and trying to let one another in to their own communities as a way of saying, actually, this can be, this is not what you think it is, or it's not happening the way you think it is, and there's a much better way of handling this issue. And then the lawmaker, like, I've just never heard, at least lately, of a lawmaker being able to accomplish passing a bill, and then, like, going, wait, hold hold up. 
maybe this is not a long-term solution. Maybe this is a short-term win, but it's not a long-term win for us, you know, capital U, us, I guess. So that was encouraging to me. To me, it feels like a feel-good story. I'm curious if I'm missing something. It's kind of that kind of feel-good story where you're like, wait, what am I really missing here? But um, it was encouraging. So first of all, I just need to say that a longtime listener of the show, Wordtropolis, as they're known on Twitter, was the person who kind of brought this news story to my attention. So thank you, Wordtropolis, for suggesting that we talk about this on the show. I read it and also blinked for the same reasons I think that you did, where you're just like, wait, what? You had the chance to pass a piece of legislation and you decided not to. I can't get over that. Also, just the way my mind works, I just imagined all the people that are mad at him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I can't imagine being that guy. That's brave. It's so brave. Yeah. So I'm actually really excited because the news article, like, what in my appetite to learn more about this story? I'm interested to talk about it. So, Kevin, thank you for joining us today. And I know it's taken us 10 minutes to hear your voice. but <laughs> That's right. It's nice to listen to all these stories. I love it. All right. Let's start at the very beginning. I really just want to spend the next couple minutes really allowing you to, to share what's been going on the past couple months. When does this legislation first emerge? It was early April when uh, Assembly Member Evan Lowe, he's, uh, he's an Assembly Member in the State Legislature of California. And as you know, there's the Senate and the Assembly. He represents an area in the Bay Area around Cupertino and so forth. When he introduced this bill and it began to move its way through the legislative process, uh, it went subsequently through um, judicial, through appropriations, and then it also went to the Senate, um, I want to say about two and a half weeks ago, and uh, the Senate approved it handily as well. The, The next step was that the legislation would come back to the Assembly for one final step called concurrence. And at that point, then, assuming Assembly had had, uh, approved with concurrence, then it would automatically now belong to the state and the legislature, not to the author, and it would go to the governor for the governor's signature. So that's the process that it went through. And it was literally uh, a matter of hours before the Assembly adjourned for the season that uh, Assembly Member Lowe. Uh, made the decision to pause the the bill and not move it forward out of concurrence into the governor's hands. So he was he he took a huge courageous step by pulling this legislation at a moment when everybody thought it was a slam dunk. Uh, but he chose a better way. So going back to your editorial, you're writing about reparative therapy. You say. Most churches recognize its potential damage, and Christians in California are less supportive of it than the author presumed. So what is really worrying people if even you yourself are like, you know, I don't necessarily agree with reparative therapy? The intent of the author, the intent of Mr. Lowe was to follow on some legislation that happened a couple of years ago when reparative therapy as a psychological process or conversion therapy, as it's often called was outlawed for minors. So now what he was saying is, I want to make this apply to all professionals in the state of California who advertise that they can change a person's sexual orientation for a fee. And so he proposed this legislation that would not just apply to minors, but it would apply to adults as well. And so basically, that's what he wanted to do, was to outlaw 
conversion therapy or its advertisement and its guarantee of success by professionals for a fee. The difficulty comes not so much with the intent, but with the execution, right? So when the legislation was written and you realize the intent, but then you read in through some of the bill, there's there's some language that the church was concerned about and that some of us were concerned about could be easily used to mitigate the ability of a local church to do effective ministry among its people for those who are seeking help with sexual searching or exploration or struggles. So we wanted to make sure that this bill did not overreach its intended purposes. Um, As I talk with uh, Assemblymember Lowe, you hear his heart, you hear his intention, and yes, we can support his opposition to conversion therapy because we recognize the psychological harm that can happen to people who undergo conversion therapy. But it's in the bill itself where subsequent generations or even aggressive plaintiff's attorneys will use this piece of legislation to somehow claim that a pastor who is praying for people who's struggling with their sexual orientation or a local church that's selling books in its bookstore that happens to be supporting a type of conversion therapy or counseling centers that are counseling people about their struggle with same-sex attraction could actually be included under this bill. And that's the concern that the church had. And at that point, we had to say, we need to really push back against this, lest it begin to impinge upon the ability of churches to do their ministry among people. Okay, so again, Richard and I pay a decent amount of attention to politics, and he was just talking about this whole thing that's going on right now with the Supreme Court hearings. You know, there's kind of activism 101. Send emails to the people on your newsletter list, get them worked up about a particular issue. Sometimes activist groups, you know, use fear tactics to try to gain, you know, rally people to their side. And, you know, it's like call your assemblyman or legislator to try and raise awareness about this. When when did the normal steps of trying to fight this legislation start to diverge, right? Because we know that there's like a, cri- a critical different ending that happens here. So um, when did that start to emerge as something that might be happening? It probably started to occur in uh, uh, maybe mid-July or so when the substance of the bill began to be articulated among pastors and leaders who recognize the, the difference between conversion therapy and what it could easily lead to, and that is the impingement on the local church. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know all of the emails that were sent. I know that there were pastors who stood up in front of congregations and said, this is not a good bill, call your representative and oppose it. And that happened. And that certainly got the attention of the legislators. But as is usually the case, that's a pretty broad stroke And it doesn't allow for some of the nuances that often are part of this kind of legislation or this kind of legislative process. So it became you're for it or you're against it. And at some point, this conversation needed to go to a deeper level of understanding really the intent and the substance of the bill and the potential ramifications of it. And I think that probably really began to take place in more public uh, measure. In, in more public ways 
in late July um, and even early August is when that started to take place. Prior to that, it was not quite as well known and it tended to be more of a broad stroke issue. Certainly, when it became known, and I, I realized or I heard about the fact that Eben was was keen on meeting with key church leaders and listening and was willing to hear the the concerns of church leaders, which in and of itself, I appreciate your concern for him because it, it really took a lot of courage on his part even to begin that conversation. You know, he's taken a lot of heat for his decision, and, and, it's, and it's coming from, from circles that he represented. So when that happened, he did meet with various groups of pastors. And of course, I convened a group of pastors, hand-selected hand pastors that I knew would be very thoughtful. They wouldn't be mean. They wouldn't hit him with a 16-pound sledgehammer, uh, but would engage in dialogue, right, in grace-filled dialogue that could lead to some constructive, positive collaboration. Because, frankly, my whole agenda in this is to change the tone of the conversation across the country around this issue, from being acrimonious and antagonistic to being much more collaborative, even with people with whom we have fundamental differences. There's a human element to this that comes out, right? And in a way that you don't always see in politics, it all often feels really blunt force. Like it's, it comes down to the numbers of people who are excited about the thing, and then that thing wins out. But here you have people sort of acknowledging not only each other's ideas, but each other's sort of good intent, and then working together to see, can we actually come to a compromise that we don't both love, like it's not ideal for either of us, but it, it actually works better on the whole. The other human element that strikes me is I know how frustrating it can be to feel like you're done with something and then to be told, no, go back to the drawing board. That is like, that is a hard thing and especially hard when you have to do that in front of everyone. Clearly a big factor in this was building trust. You know, I, I don't know Evan intimately, uh, we've spent some time together. We've talked on the phone numerous times now. And so a big element of this for me was, do I really trust this person and will they do what they say they will do? And, and at some point, the Christian has to say, even if they go back on their promise, I have to be willing to do the right thing, even if I get hurt in the process. This is not about who wins and who loses. This is not about a zero-sum game. This is about honestly building some trust with people who disagree fundamentally uh, with us on some key issues that we trace back to the authority of Scripture and historic Christian beliefs and so forth and so on. So, so the trust had to be built. And likewise, he's looking across the table at a group of pastors, and particularly at me, trying to discern whether he can trust me. So whether, you know, when he looks at me and says, Kevin, are you willing to, to make a statement and support my opposition to conversion therapy? And I tell him, yes, I am. You know, he's got to be willing to trust me. And, and frankly, when I told Evan, yes, I am willing to go public with a statement that supports your opposition to conversion therapy. And when it was picked up and published, uh, it meant a lot to him. I mean, that was a big deal for him because that hadn't happened in this state before. Nobody... Uh, to my knowledge, had done that publicly in this dialogue. So that that spoke volumes to him. And trust was was immediately be, beginning at that point. Now, we're a long way to go. I mean, we got a lot of conversation, and now the hard work of collaboration and conversation starts. 
but it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start with somebody or else we will continue to devolve in our conversations into uh, mudslinging and fist fighting and, and binary on or off, yes or no, acrimonious arguments. And frankly, that simply is not Christian. In a pluralistic culture, as Christians, we have to learn how to better engage this culture in reflecting Christ and representing God rather than the insistence that it has to be our way, because in many cases, that's not going to happen. Hey, this is Morgan, and today I'm speaking with Focus on the Family's Education Issues Director Candy Cushman about Bring Your Bible to School Day, which this year is on October 4th. So, Candy, what's new for Bring Your Bible to School Day this year, as it's the fifth anniversary of the event? Last year, there were half a million kids that participated, so just mind-blowing. So in celebration of that, we have as our honorary chair this year, Sadie Robertson, because she has just done a great job of channeling the fame that she has received from being a teen star in Duck Dynasty and uh, Dancing with the Stars to just this amazing outreach to youth. She has a Live Original tour that's happening after Bring Your Bible to School Day and a book called Live Fearless. Bring Your Bible to School Day is all about encouraging youth to be unashamed just to live out who they are authentically as Christians, even by taking a simple step of just bringing your Bible with you and reading it during free time or talking about it with a friend. So a way that she's working with us to encourage youth is that every kid, every individual that signs up for this event has a chance to win a free trip for four to meet her in person at one of her events. Hopefully this this Live Original tour that she's doing right after Bring Your Bible to School Day. So if people want to see some of these stories and the students talking on the videos themselves, I would encourage them just to go to bringyourbible.org. There is a lot of great information about students' rights and tips for parents and teachers as well. So that's bringyourbible.org. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. All right, so Kevin, we've we've talked a little bit about how you used to be the head of the National Association of Evangelicals and some of the other titles that you've had. So certainly you've been in positions where you've had to learn how to build trust with people who just don't share your ideological or religious or other types of commitments. Can you give us some concrete ways that you've gone about building trust with people who may seem, you know, on the onset very different than you? Well, it starts by talking to them as people. And of course, internally, it starts by seeing the other as one created by God with the image of God imprinted upon them. That in and of itself commands or requires that we view them with the dignity that is due a person created in the image of God, understanding full well that they think differently about who God is, who Jesus is, what salvation is, and what restoration to God's wholeness and ideal is all about. And it also moves beyond just talking to them to talking to them authentically. 
and being honest with them and being willing to commit to them as people and furthermore then doing what is right or what we believe to be right and appropriate in reflecting Christ well, not primarily driven by the political agenda nor even by the possibility that we may be be being used, so to speak, or manipulated, but simply doing what's right because it's right and doing what reflects Christ well. People see that, and that is magnetic. Uh, So when you look somebody like Mr. Lowe in the eye and you see his honest desire and you offer uh, authenticity, uh, trust begins to be built. In like fashion, he he, he looked at this and said, I want to choose the high road. I want to choose what is right. As I think he said in the LA Times, why would we not choose collaboration? Uh, even though we've got all the votes, we have all the power, uh, we can do this, no questions. But why would we not choose collaboration over automatic victory? Well, that took a big man to do that. I mean, that was a courageous choice on Mr. Lowe's part. And frankly, part of my you know, I, I, I don't like to see Christians jumping up and down for joy and saying, we won, we won, because that's not the way it is. This is the beginning of healthy, collaborative conversation. So two years ago, I believe there was another piece of legislation in California that would have kept students from getting state tuition grants if they went to a school that had a community covenant that restricted sex to married heterosexual couples if I recall correctly. As I understand, the bill was eventually dropped. Do you see parallels between that piece of legislation and this particular situation? I'm sure that there are some parallels that can be drawn. In fact, uh, Morgan, the, the bill was not dropped. That bill, Senate Bill 1146, that particular bill was amended. It was amended to ultimately become a bill that required full disclosure on the part of academic institutions so that it became basically a bill that requires that Christian or religious schools or faith-based schools divulge or, or, or disclose completely their identity and their policies uh, relative to human sexuality. We do that. Any Christian university that I know of um, is very clear that it is a Christian university, and it makes very available its positions on human sexuality and Christian marriage. That was directly focused at academic institutions, Christian academic institutions in the state of California, of which there are about 19. This one really has more uh, ramifications for the local church than that one did. In both cases, the church needed to find its voice. In that particular case, it tended to be more of a reactionary voice because all of it, we really were caught with what I call kind of our our heads in the sand. We were kind of caught off guard and and we realized how disconnected we had become from many of the legislative processes and how little the public really knows what goes on at a Christian university or college. And so we asked the churches to come in support of these schools, which they were ready to do and did well, but it was more reactionary. In this case, thankfully, we were able to engage this in a bit of a different way, calling for collaborative conversation. My hope is that in the future, we can actually help to craft some of this legislation 
So we are gradually moving earlier and earlier into the legislative process so that any legislation that affects church or religious freedom is something that we can collaborate in actually writing before it gets to the point where we have to react. I also remember that there was an op-ed that the Biola president, Barry Corey, and Evan, who have been talking about this as well, wrote about the relationship that they formed in the aftermath of that as well, which speaks to the fact that it seems like Assemblymember Lowe has really tried to intentionally cultivate relationships with the Christian community for a couple of years now. It also kind of shows what progress you can be making when it feels like you're at a stalemate, right? The fact that that bill happened and seemed like, I remember that that period of time, and it, and it was a, a moment of like deep uh, frustration on the part of Christians. Like we're, there was a really a feeling of like, we are about to get persecuted in sort of unprecedented levels. I mean, if per, I don't know if persecution is the right word, but we're about to be affected in some major ways. And the, fa- the fact that that whole conversation resulted in this sort of partnership that, that paves a way towards, um, towards something more friendly and collaborative is, is fascinating to me. As I said before, now is when the work starts, because to say all of this stuff is nice. And now we got to deliver, right? Uh, basically, we've said we want to collaborate. Evan has said, okay, I do too. And so now, okay, we got to collaborate. And what does that look like? Well, I, we don't know. I mean, I'm, uh, I know that um, some of the presidents are, are, are working on ways that they can be in touch with him and others. Uh, I'll be meeting with, with Assemblymember Lowe. And frankly, one of the things I told him, I said, Evan, let me just spend half a day with you and help, let me help you understand the complexity of the church, <laughs> the evangelical church across America. I mean, it's, it's not a monolithic group because they're constantly scratching their heads and they're wondering why is it that one group is so angry and, and up, up in arms and why is another group so accepting and tolerant and affirming and why is another group so reasonable, you know, engaged in, in reasoning with us? And so it's, it, it can be very confusing for someone who's not familiar with the life of the church. So I told him, I said, let me, let me help you understand uh, the complexity of the church. And frankly, I would like for you to understand what we mean when we talk about salvation, because that's the path that all of us are committed to, is inviting people onto the way of salvation. So let me explain what salvation is from a Christian worldview and how that fits into this conversation. And he's very open to trying to understand that in a, in, a, in, a, in a clearer way. So I will be working with him on that. We have good people who are willing to sit down with his folks and look at proposed legislation and how to adjust it so that it accomplishes his intent while preserving the freedom uh, of the church to do what we're called to do, or perhaps even say, as I suggest in the op-ed, perhaps even not have to go forward with any legislation at all, but just begin to alter the temperature and the the moral consciousness of our society. Oftentimes when you are negotiating, you come and you like write your list of things that you want, right? But to really work with people who are not like you, you also have to be thinking about all the stuff that you're willing to budge on or negotiate on or, you know, the ways that you're going to make yourself vulnerable if you're asking someone else to make themselves vulnerable. So, Kevin, how do you distill, these are my absolute Christian convictions, this is the stuff that I can 
budge on or be flexible with or meet people at, since that's how you really do partner with people? I approach everything I do in the ministry of advancing God's work in the world in a relational context. I understand that Christian faith is first and foremost relational in nature, uh, with us and God, with us and God through Jesus, and then with us and others in loving God and loving others. So it, it has to begin in relationships. It can't it can't for me begin with a list of possible negotiated points. And I understand how, 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 what you're talking about here, but I don't tend to walk into a conversation saying, all right, I'm willing to give on these, 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 and these, and not on this, this, and this. I tend to walk into a conversation and say, I really want to know you as a person, because I know that God created you in God's own image, and God's imprimatur is on your life. I want to know you as a person, and I want to see the telltale signs of God's image in you. More importantly, I want to show you my life. If you care to know me, I want to become open to you so you may know me. That's the relational uh, dynamic. When we then begin to know one another, we understand the desires, the priorities, what's important. And and frankly, yes, there are there are beliefs beliefs and and fundamental truths that are non-negotiables. But frankly, I think those tend to be rather intuitive. You know, I don't have a list in my hip pocket and say, I'll give on this, but not on that. Those are intuitive. And when somebody starts asking me to let go of something that is fundamentally a descriptor of my identity as a child of God in Jesus Christ, I can tell when that becomes, uh, that starts to carve away at my core identity as a believer. And those are things that I just, I just can't let go of. I can't let go of the high view of the authority of Scripture and, and the, the significant anchoring in God's ideal vision for men and women and for marriage. I just can't let go of that. That's part of who I am. It's part of what I believe. I can't let go of the presence and centrality of Christ and the activity of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, there are non-negotiables. And but but again, I can't take the I can't separate those from a relational circumstance. Well thank you so much for giving us the story and food for thought, Kevin. I'm sure listeners will have thoughts and questions and commentary about all of this. So we invite again you listeners to give that to us. We're on Twitter at CT Podcasts. You can send us an email at podcast at christianitytoday.com. And thank you to everyone who sends us emails because we really do appreciate just hearing from you in longer forms than just tweets. All right, now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments. We ask everyone to share something that is bringing them joy. Richard, you're up. I went on a bike ride, the second of the, of the, summer i guess i need to go on more bike rides but the last time i did the first time i did i flew over the animals on my bike and bruised my, bruised my ribs so i had to wait a while before i started going bike riding again so over the labor day weekend uh me and two other friends of mine went on a bike ride from batavia to saint charles for the people who do not know what that is those are cities along a river so we got to ride all the way down the what's called the prairie path trail and it was a beautiful river you just look at a river the whole time. 
we ate at a pizza place and then we came back home and it was awesome. It was so fun. I don't do that very often. I bet it was like a perfect day. It was. That to me sounds like a perfect day. It was great. Wow. How awesome is that? It was very awesome. You can follow me on Twitter at the Richard Clark. Would you like to hype your other podcast? Yes, I have a podcast that is is like a personal project, too, if you want to check it out. It's called No Chill Enneagram, and it is silly and dumb. Check it out. It's fun. If you ever were like, Morgan just keeps Richard way too serious. Yeah, it's a I'm not on that show, so don't worry. Yeah, (laughs) she wouldn't wouldn't work out on the No Chill Enneagram. She would just be frustrated the whole time. That's not true. I just have to be serious for this show. All right. Do you want to go, Kevin? Sure, I'd be happy to. So on Monday, obviously Labor Day, I had the joy of having my granddaughter. I have one grandchild, and she's two years old. Her name is Maya, M-A-I-A, named after the character in C.S. Lewis's uh, Till We Have Faces. Wow, nice. And she got to come over to Grandpa's house, and we played on the floor For a long time, I read a ton of books. I love it when I get to do that because I love reading the books like Blueberries for Sal and all the fun (laughs) books that everybody... Yeah, I'm sure you guys remember these, right? Richard's Uh, scary. um, I'm reading them right now to myself. You're reading them right now to your own children, right? Yeah, I get that. So it's been a while since I read them to my own daughter and boy and my sons, but uh, I get to reread these. And uh, of course, the big thing for Maya was that I took her out in the backyard and I showed her what she now calls Grandpa's house, which is uh, about a about a eight foot by nineteen foot shed that I've been building in my backyard, and I was so proud to show it off. And she just thinks that's the best thing since sliced bread <laughs> because she got to go into Grandpa's house, which is kind of like a shed out back and keep the stuff out there, you know all that. And, uh, of course, sitting next to her, dipping her toes in the pool. And, of course, she goes in a little farther than she should and got her dress all wet. So, you know, I just love playing with Maya. She's the joy of life. She just turned two years old and she she talks like crazy. She's putting sentences together. Of course, for me, she's the smartest kid in town. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's just the way it is. Yep. So uh, I love hanging out with Maya. Are you online? Can people find you anywhere outside of the show? Uh, yes, there's a website. I have a website. It's kevinmanoia.com. It's kind of like a calling card on steroids. The website where there are resources that I work on, holinessandunity.org is a uh, website that people can go and see some of the stuff that I'm putting my heart and mind into relative, even to some of these kinds of things. And about ready to release a new document called the Holiness Way of Social uh, Discourse and Public Engagement. And it's a framework for pastors to help guide their churches in these kinds of questions of how do we engage uh, publicly. And that that will be on that website and a uh, number of books there. Spell your last name for people. Uh, yeah, M-A-N-N-O-I-A. Wonderful. So my precious moment, I went back to the Bay Area this past weekend for Labor Day, celebrated my mom's birthday. It was delightful. I can pick out a bunch of different moments that were great, but one of them was definitely spending time with my cousin who grew up very near me, but we did not have our own relationship with each other until we went out for coffee on Mm -hmm. Saturday. Oh, wow. So 
it was just fantastic to really get to know her well. And I think that we will be in each other's lives a little bit more than we have been. And if you're following Morgan on Instagram, you know that she's sharing a lot of baby baby Morgan pictures, <laughs> which were great. It was awesome to see what, like 16-year-old Morgan pictures? And six-year-old. Yeah, I had to clean out all these photos. So, you know, while I'm cleaning out the photos, might as well put them on my Instagram story. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram. In this case, I'll give it out. <laughs> Come clean with the secret. The same place. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. All right. That is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is produced by myself, Richard Clark, who is here with us today, and Cray Allred. You can get the podcast almost every place you get a podcast. Again, we always like it, though, when you go to Apple Podcasts and you rate and review the show thank you to everyone who has done that you're the best again if you want to su support the show if you're already a subscriber obviously at this point you can go to morect.com slash podcasts and we'll see you all next week this episode was brought to you in part by the lord of spirits podcast Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.